2: Here he comes through the final corner. He started this Grand Prix in sixth place. What an absolutely phenomenal drive by Michael Schumacher. He was helped by mistakes by the Renault team, but it's given him the victory that
3: gives him the lead in the World Championship. In 2006, the great Michael Schumacher, who helped design that chicane, scored the last win of his astounding career. Three races later, this driver made his debut in Formula 1, and now he's coming round the corner. The moment's arrived. Lewis Hamilton crosses the line to take his 91st victory. Lewis Hamilton wins the Eiffel Grand Prix and ties the all-time win record. Michael Schumacher has company. Sporting history made at the Nürburgring. From a German hotel lobby and my kitchen table, it's F1 Nation. This week, Andrew Shovlin on what Hamilton changed to reach the win record. Michael Schmidt explains F1 possibly returning to the Nordschleife. And Lauren Mechies on why Ferrari's Driver Academy has two charges knocking on F1's door. As you said there, AJ...
0: Lewis has only gone and done it 91 wins just incredible and as Daniel Ricardo pointed out after the race that's the equivalent of winning every Grand Prix for four and a half years
1: <laughs> that's nice
0: it was definitely a weekend where I was just pleased to witness the moment and as for you AJ commentating on that race did you get a lump in your throat as he crossed the line
3: well, you've got to get to 92 to get a lump in in my throat, drive a hard bargain in that F1 commentary box. It was the same thing as Russia, really. You, we knew that we were either going to get a day of drama or a historic result that we were going to be talking about into the future. Do you remember when the the win record passed from one driver to another? I think Michael Schumacher took that win record in 2001 from Alain Prost. And now, obviously, this year, it's going to pass uh, outright to Lewis Hamilton before we're done. But it's nice in the moment, just the same week of the Grand Prix, to be able to appreciate, you know what, it might be Lewis Hamilton's forever. If the Formula One rules do what they're meant to do, it is going to be far, far harder to win 10, 11, 12 Grand Prixs every single season.
0: Yeah, it was incredibly impressive. And also, Lewis was emotional. And as Mick Schumacher passed over one of his father's race helmets from 2012, just before he went on the podium, I definitely sensed Lewis choking up. But having said that, I also came away with the feeling that it's seven championships is the one that he is going to be particularly proud of because I think longevity and the consistency factor he keeps talking about consistency and to win championship after championship requires I think in Lewis's eyes more skill and sacrifice really uh, than just winning Grand Prix's in the fastest car so I think it's when he gets that seventh title that we're going to see the emotion really pouring out of him
3: There's a lovely onboard when he came back to the pits, the camera facing him. And the moment that got him is not really anything that was said on the radio. It's not driving past all of the fans. It's not even doing a victory lap at the famous Nürburgring. It was when he went under the video board coming into the pits and he saw his face next to Michael. And I think that moment Just solidified. And that's when you saw him really pumped up. Bono on the radio to him going, I saw that you just saw it. Well done. Like an acknowledgement that that's the moment that it hit him. Your image is going to be played next to Michael's image today. But in the future, they're aiming for you. You're the benchmark. It's interesting that you say about the championships because it's worth acknowledging that for all of the people yesterday that were elated to see that moment of history and able to appreciate it, there will be a lot of fans out there going, you're going over the top, guys. You're making a big fuss over nothing. He's got the best car. Of course, if you have a McLaren for the start of your career and then a Mercedes, you're going to win a Grand Prix every single year. Like, why, why all the hype? And I think that's why the wins can be skewed by the fact that we have more races per season. But championships, championships are undisputed. And I think that is why he is so motivated, not just to get to seven, but to get to eight. And he's got one hand on the championship trophy after what was a very entertaining, and you have to say pivotal, Eiffel Grand Prix all of the above, and helped
0: by the weather. Come on, two Englishmen talking about the weather, (laughs) AJ. That's what people uh, want on a Tuesday (laughs) when this podcast goes out.
3: (laughs) Bang on, And now the weather.
0: (laughs) Actually, I felt for you on Friday. Uh, Three hours with no running whatsoever. Um, How was the (laughs) polyphilomate?
3: Yeah, yeah, made all, all the better with your supportive texts. Thanks for that. Um, but I tell was... you what it did do, AJ. I yeah, tell you what it did do is that
0: it condensed the weekend to two days, and every single driver I spoke to said they preferred it like that. They preferred having more pressure, no excuses. You don't have Friday night to look at the data and improve setup. You have to get on with it, and they like the pressure.
3: Kevin Magnussen was saying this weekend. The driver is going to make the difference. We've all got neutral setup. You can't take a risk. You can't negate any car problems. You're going to have to arrive and drive. And that is why I think so many people would be disappointed to lose Friday running. Let's maybe go to Lando Norris's suggestion. Some of the year. Say a race like Silverstone, a race like Monza, where the grandstands are very full. Mexico City, another one, where the grandstands are very full on a Friday. Three-day classic event. The rest of them, two days, arrive and drive. Because what did we see? Okay, we needed a safety car for this, but we had nine different constructors in the points yesterday, purely because it was that sort of weekend.
0: And I think this is being discussed for 2022 as well. So it's not just you and I having a rant over breakfast after a (laughs) Grand Prix. This is actually very likely to happen.
3: Formula One is always evolving. And I think that evolution is going to help us get more race weekends in. And that might give someone a chance to beat Lewis Hamilton's benchmark. The crazy thing, the main thing I thought when he came across the line is... Well, he's not only getting the win record. The the first thing I thought when I was seeing him celebrating is he's going to more than likely, if everything's OK and you never know in motor racing, but if everything's OK, he's going to get to the century of Formula One wins. And that that will be a moment. He says he's not interested
0: in statistics, but it's touching distance now, isn't it? You it know really that is. he can actually get there next year while he's still going to have. A very, very competitive car. And, and, you know, Lewis Hamilton, not interested in statistics. Oh, hang on a minute. I can get a ton.
2: (laughs)
3: Yeah. What's he going to do? Raise the, You know, in cricket, they raise the bat. And if you take five wickets, you raise the ball. Is he going to raise the steering wheel?
0: Run onto the podium, clutching some stumps. I don't know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Pure class from the Schumacher family. Mick there was meant to be running an FP1. We'll talk about that later on. But just as the Senna family acknowledged Lewis when he took a record equaling pole position, the Schumacher family presenting him with a helmet. That was a poignant image for anyone who watched Michael winning all those races a few years ago now. But that was a a classy move from classy family. It's not Lewis's
0: first Michael helmet because in Abu Dhabi 2012, they did the, uh, the helmet swap. Lewis talked about it after the race, saying that, he went down to the Mercedes motorhome in Abu Dhabi and him and Michael had their picture taken together and they swapped helmets. So, so this is the second Schumacher helmet he's got. But I felt there was definitely a changing of the guard. I thought to have Mick there, the future of the Schumacher family, uh, involved in Lewis's 91st Grand Prix win, I thought was a touching moment.
3: It was all a bit Christmas Carol, wasn't it? Referring to Schumacher of past... Hamilton of present and Schumacher of the future. It was a great moment. It was well orchestrated and it signified what Lewis Hamilton achieved in the Eiffel Grand Prix. Well, friend of the pod, Andrew Shovlin, who is the track engineering director, has worked with both Hamilton and Schumacher up close, as well as engineering other drivers like Jensen Button to world championships along the way. He's a perfect person to talk to when records are being set So we did just that and caught up with him straight after the Grand Prix.
0: A phenomenal day for Lewis Hamilton at the Nürburgring. How has he developed during that time?
2: When he joined in 2013, he's a very, very different character and a very different character, I think, in and out of the car. Obviously, our team's evolved a lot. But when he started with us, you know, he was instantly quick. He was brilliant at winning races. He had that ability to sort of dig deep and deliver whatever he had to on a Sunday to keep the hopes alive of of a win. Now, he's so much more tactical in how he sort of views the year and how he views how he works and, you know, he's not just looking for the improvements he can find in how he's driving the car, it's just the whole way he's like leading his life and how he's approaching the business of being a professional racing driver. You know, year on year he comes back and it's this sort of slightly improved version of the guy that you... I saw in Abu Dhabi but the level that he's, he's at now is, is seriously impressive it's just you know cons- consistency and the relentless way that he just goes about hoovering up the points and controlling the championships
0: and how's he improved technically as well
2: he works very hard and he's a driver that I think a lot of perhaps his rivals like to think of him as just this sort of, you know person who's fast in the car but doesn't put the hours in he's one of the hardest working drivers we've ever known and it's really just the more he can understand about the tires about how the car works about how to use all the available tools he's just able to turn you know to take that and build it into his driving and it's just this kind of relentless way that he looks, you know he looks at every missed opportunity as something that needs fixing before the next race he goes off and works with Bono and Marcus's engineering crew and you know, or with, with the wider team trying to understand any issues. And said, it's just the way he's sort of constantly building his skill set and so long into a career, you kind of think drivers would sort of top out this sort of skill set, but Lewis keeps finding new and different things to to do and how to get the most out of the car and the tires.
0: And and there's the obvious comparison to make, isn't there, given that he's now equaled Michael Schumacher's win record of 91. You've worked with Michael as well. Um, Are there many similarities between?
2: The two characters couldn't be more different. If you look at how they drive, when Michael arrived at our team, the things that stood out with him were the way he would sort of always go after the marginal gains. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a hundredth of a second, he'd try and do it and he'd sort of collect those up. Michael also had an ability to drive whatever balance was quickest if it was an understeery car that he needed he'd do it if he needed to move the work onto the front tires he could so he was very very adaptable in his driving style and those are certainly two characteristics that Lewis very much has it's not you know like a, a lot of the good good drivers don't have a particular style it's just whatever's quick they'll adapt to to do it you know Michael would doesn't matter how many things you told him to do on a lap, whether it was moving the brake bias, where to look after tires, where what he needed to do to get them in the right window, he'd be able to sort of put them all together. And again, that's one that Lewis does it quite quietly often. You don't, you know, but you can just keep layering one thing on top of another and and he doesn't forget it. He just sort of does it. And then if you give him more things to do, he adds those on top. So I think just in terms of the way they are in the car, they're actually more similar than you might believe. It's just that, you know, out of the car, they're two quite different Mm. uh, people.
0: Do you guys feel Red Bull were a bit closer to you this weekend?
2: Red Bull are closer to us, um, I think. And, you know, in qualifying, if you, Lewis and Max both did their best times in Q2. If you look at everyone's best times, it's very, very close at the front. They just, you know, put together a brilliant lap when it actually counted. Um, they've been closing on us over the course of the year. Definitely the changes in the engine mode um, to stop qualifying modes has brought them a step closer. I think they are developing quicker than we are at the moment. Um, and we've seen that progressively, but to be honest, we've seen that in most of the recent years. They, they you know, tend to not stronger, they start as strongly as we do. I can't really think of a year recently where they've not been with us by the end, you know, if we, if we see that trend continue, then the remaining races are going to get tougher and it'll be harder to try and keep getting the pole and the cars on pole on Saturday and winning on a Sunday.
3: I love that line from Andrew Shovlin where he was talking about being able to throw absolutely everything at Michael Schumacher. Half driver, half supercomputer. And on F1 TV, on the Pit Lane channel, Um, Because we had quite a lot of time to fill on Friday, we dug out of the archive Michael's pole lap from 2004 and he was changing the brake bias and he was the first driver to change the brake bias. Now, I mean, Lando Norris talking about getting cramp in his thumbs, trying to negate that engine problem and Holkenberg talking about getting cold fingers, changing settings on the steering wheel. All of that set in motion by the groundbreaking Michael Schumacher, who was looking for any advantage. And I saw him doing that and I was like, no one else was changing the brake balance like that. No one else was doing that. And now that is a central component, corner by corner changes, central component of being an F1 driver. And it's amazing that
0: in-car footage you talk about from 2004 is to change the brake bias. He's having to take his hand off the wheel. Nowadays, you can do everything with buttons on the wheel, whereas between every single corner, Michael was taking his hand off the wheel. It was phenomenal. And yeah, I loved hearing the comparison between Lewis and Michael as well, AJ. Although for me, the bit I found most fascinating really was his acknowledgement that Red Bull really are knocking at the door now. He acknowledged the late season development that happens every year with them And then you throw it forward to next year where the cars are the same. So I think if I was Max Verstappen right now, I'd be really confident about 2021 because they're not going to be on the back foot at the start of next year. They're going to be where they ended up at the end of this year. And then if, if they continue to develop that car throughout next year, then I think Red Bull are going to be serious contenders.
3: Hard to disagree. They've always been good at that late season development, only to see the advantage crumble at the start of the year, no matter what the team protest. That has been the reality in recent seasons. And you know what? I think Hamilton would relish that. When you hear him talk about Max Verstappen, he knows that he's got one hand on this year's championship trophy. But how much would an eighth title mean if he could beat the young pretender? And if it's competitive, that sounds like what I think F1 deserves, a real title battle two different teams you have to go back a long way now we're overdue for one that would be one for the ages and another thing about Red Bull is that with Honda withdrawing
0: at the end of next year they're not going to be confident about their engine situation going into 2022 so I think they may well throw all of their eggs into next year because they're so uncertain about 22 and that's got to be good for Max Verstappen good for Formula One and as you say good for Lewis Hamilton because he loves a battle as long as he does still get that eighth title mind you.
3: Yeah by the time he gets to you he only loves a battle if he's won. Well one thing we like to do on F1 Nation is funnily enough to go around different nations to get a perspective from different countries. You don't want to just hear two Brits banging on about the weather. We want to bring you an expert this time warehouse from germany michael schmidt has seen all of michael schumacher's victories trackside and now all of lewis hamilton's as well an extraordinary journalistic career and one that gives him a unique perspective on what we saw this weekend
0: joined now by michael schmidt from Motor and sport great to have you on the show thanks michael so what a day here at the Nürburgring. Lewis Hamilton has equaled Michael Schumacher's win record. Just as a German journalist, what's your reaction to that?
4: Well, we never believed that this record ever would, would be beaten by anyone. Uh, it was unbelievable and I think even Lewis didn't think about it when he joined Mercedes uh, seven years now or ago and um, that he did it, that shows what an incredible uh, performance that means. I mean, many people say he sits in the best car, as Michael did for quite a while. But you have to to use your chances, you know. I mean, Bottas also sits sits in the best car. Rosberg sat in the best car. And Barrichello sat in the best car. And they didn't make the same number of wins like Michael and Lewis. What about just
0: German Formula One fans? Do you think they're a little bit conflicted that, you know, their hero, Michael Schumacher is being equaled by a guy in a Mercedes Formula 1 car or do you think is Michael Schumacher still the man in Germany
4: Yeah he is still the man I think people they don't mind that that Hamilton now takes the record or will beat it rather sooner than later uh, I think for them Michael is still the superhero for the Germans and uh, but on the other hand I don't think they feel bad about what Lewis did because everybody appreciates I mean, he's the best driver, you can see. He does the least mistakes. He's always there. You know, he's quick. He's an intelligent race driver. As I said, he doesn't do many mistakes. He's very good in tyre management. So he's he's an all-rounder, like Michael was.
0: Michael, how long have you been doing Formula
4: 1? Well, I started in 81 to work here. <laughs>
0: right, so you saw mm-hmm. all 91 victories of Schumacher, and you've I, now seen all 91 Victories of Lewis Hamilton. That's quite something. Tell us a little bit more about the similarities between those two guys.
4: I think they are quite different because Michael was a, had this typical German attitude to really work on bringing everything to perfection. So he was really a, a, a worker. I think he had a list, a checklist, what to do. I think Lewis does the same, but in a different way. He does it just because it's his nature, you know. But I, I don't think he's as meticulous as Michael ever was. And I think he's a bigger talent in the end. Michael always admitted that he might not have been the super talent. He might not have been a Fangio or Jim Clark or a Senna, but he was very, very close to it. And by being perfect in all disciplines, more perfect than the others, he equaled that.
0: There was a quote I read recently where Fernando Alonso described himself as nine out of 10 in every department. And Schumacher was a bit like that. Is that what you're saying?
4: Absolutely. But I think honestly... That Alonso was in the end even a bit better than him, because I think he had maybe the one more nine out of ten than Michael. He was, for me, he was always the evolution of, of Michael. Because I've never seen a, ra- a driver who could read a race so well sitting in a car as Fernando. I think in this aspect he's even better than than Lewis Hamilton. He's not as quick as Lewis, and he might admit that. For for me, that was always the most incredible thing I've ever seen on a racing driver. I mean, having That view out of the cockpit, which normally only people at the pit will have.
0: That's extraordinary. So of the three names we've mentioned, Schumacher, Alonso and Hamilton, the fastest? Hamilton. But the most complete?
4: Uh, I would say uh, the most complete, yeah, Alonso, I would say. him.
0: How interesting. Wow. Hmm. Well, it was an incredible achievement. But of course, Nico Hülkenberg was back this weekend as well i mean the super sub i used to think of roberto <laughs> yeah exactly roberto moreno is yeah, yeah, the exactly. super sub but yeah. hulk's taking it to a whole different yeah. level did you catch up with him this week yeah, yeah a little him? bit yes can you what, what was he saying i mean mad weekend for him
4: well it was even it was even more mad than silverstone because i mean it was a shorter notice so then he he jumped in his porsche i think he did the fastest lap time ever between cologne and the nurburgring and uh, he fortunately had a helmet with him all the rest was here the seat the overalls and uh, then I think he, he did what he could. It was impossible um, to do in 10 laps. I think he had in, in qualifying to do much better than he did. Uh, I think if Q1 would have lasted maybe five, six minutes longer and he had another set of tires, I think he would have made it into into Q2.
0: And what about 2021 for him? Do you think all these cameos he's putting in this year are sort of helping him sell his wares? Do you think we're going to see him on the grid permanently next year? Mm,
4: I have my doubts, to be honest, uh, because uh, I think he should. He deserves a place like Perez. But I think, from my feeling, Haas will go for two young drivers because he needs it for money reasons, for other reasons. It's over there is a chance. It all depends how Kimi has decided about his future. If Kimi stops, then I think... Hulk has a good chance, but it might be a quite battle, uh, a quite tight battle then with Perez, and the other place will be for Mick Schumacher. That's pretty with sure. With
0: Mick Schumacher in the second alpha, yeah, in the second. Do alpha you think that's Mio. a done deal? Yeah, I think so. Even though he didn't get to run. Or? Yeah,
4: yeah, I think so. No, they no. want to have him in Formula One. Huh?
0: But Michael, how big a story is Mick in Germany now?
4: I think it's a huge story. You could see, especially the the daily newspapers, more than us, the specialized papers. I mean, Bild Zeitung, which is the biggest tabloid in Germany. They, I think they did a page even before he was even here. So for them, it's a big story.
0: Who got more coverage this weekend? Four-time world champion, 53-time Grand Prix winner Sebastian Vettel, or Mick Schumacher, who
4: didn't turn a lap? Mick Schumacher, <laughs> definitely. <laughs>
0: it's that big, wow. Yeah. Look, Nürburgring, I think it's been a great success. Do you think this racetrack will be on the Formula 1 calendar next year?
4: Well, it depends. If you have another season like this... Um being dominated by Corona and all these uh, consequences? Probably yes, because I think here they are flexible enough to do what uh, Liberty wants them to do. I mean, one of the reasons why it was put on the calendar was because it was quite late in the season. They wanted to have a cold race to mix up a little bit. That would help them. But I think if you have a normal calendar where people have to pay and where most money talks, uh, the Nürburgring has no chance. But these people here are dreaming a little bit. They have some... Some odd plans, and uh, I know that even it, inside Formula One, people thinking about it, I mean, they think one day it could be possible even to drive on a big circuit uh, to make it safe enough for Formula One, maybe to have it only every two or three years on the calendar, like Olympic Games. Michael, Michael, Michael. I've driven the Nordschleife. Yeah.
0: How can you make that safe for a modern Formula One car?
4: Well, I, I, they, they, argue, <laughs> they argue Monte Carlo is uh, safe as well for a modern Formula One car, which is which is a little bit similar to here. Obviously, here, yeah, the speeds are higher. and They have to take money in their hands in, in the region of probably $100 million or something like that. But if Liberty is... If they think about it, they should, maybe they should help them financing it. Because, again, I think we could have, like Olympic Games, every two or three years only, and that would be something special. And there would be half a million people here, I, I can tell you. Oh, and they amazing. are dreaming that dream. I know. We did an interview yeah. with them. Yeah.
0: Look, final question from me. Concerns the future of Toto Wolff. What are you hearing?
4: Well, initially I thought um, he might take over a role like Niki Lauda had, you know, um, still be being around, but not on a day-to-day basis and and consulting more consulting than being a team principal. But the recent thing, recent most recent thing I hear is that he carries on in the position he has. I don't know whether he will be still an owner. But as a team principal, he will carry on.
0: Loves it too much? Or Mercedes can't find someone else to fill mm-hmm. the gap?
4: Well, uh, I would say they appreciate that Toto is a big part in the success of the team. And obviously, it's quite difficult to replace him. On the other side, I think, whether he admits it or not, probably his, his choice would have been probably to do what Dominicali will do now next year. Um, this is gone. So it's only this Mercedes option left and um, he probably will make the best out of it.
3: Well, great to hear from Michael Schmidt there, our German F1 Nation correspondent joining Davide Valsecki. We're going to get a correspondent in every single part of the globe by the time we're done with this podcast. Now, TC, I thought we could spend the next three hours debating the assertion that Hamilton was the quickest and Alonso was the most complete. No, I'm just saying we don't have time to do that and everyone's sanity would be tested by one of those debates.
0: I thought it was interesting that Michael Schmidt, German journalist, friend of Michael Schumacher, was still able to say, no, Lewis Hamilton's faster, Alonso banging in those lap times. I thought it was interesting that he was able to be quite so objective about Michael Schumacher on the day that Lewis Hamilton... Equaled his win record. But uh, there you go. That's why Michael Schmidt is the doyen of German journalists.
3: Yeah, great perspective and, and brilliant to talk to him as a result. Now, the Nordschleifer. Oh, bring it on. Bring it on. Is this even possible? It would be the most expensive Grand Prix in history.
0: The organisers at the Nordschleifer have spoken to Hermann Tilke about what it would cost to get the track up to speed. Don't panic, everybody. He's not going to change the layout.
3: What's happened? It's all 90 (laughs) degree corners.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Tilka thinks it's about 100 million euros uh, to get the track up to the modern safety standards. But do you know what I really like about this idea? Well, A, 173 corners, 22 kilometers, the best track in the world, bar none. The fact that they're thinking about Running it only once every four years in an Olympic year. So it becomes the Olympic Games of that particular world championship. 500,000 people pouring in through the gates. And that's just the Brits turning up. And <laughs> it would just be a phenomenal thing. I did a lap of the Nordschleifer on Wednesday evening last week. It's phenomenal for anyone listening who hasn't been around that track. It is unchanged from when Formula One was last there in 1976. And you just feel the history. You know, Silverstone, first ever World Championship Grand Prix, phenomenal place, but the layout is nothing like how it was back then. Whereas the Nordschleife is identical. And I actually stopped my car at Bergwerk halfway around the lap where Nicky Lauda crashed back in 76. Wow. And you just feel the ghosts of yesteryear. It was was a phenomenal thing. And then you suddenly, three days later, have a chat with Michael Schmidt, who says they're going to bring modern Formula One cars back. And you just think, oh, my
3: God. That would be mind-blowing. And it sounds completely impossible. But the idea of 20 Formula One cars taking the five red lights at the Nordschleife I don't even know where you'd begin to start. I mean, how the track walk on a, on a Thursday might take a while. That would be the ultimate. A lot of people may have
0: uh, driven around it on a video game and there is no runoff. There really is no runoff. You're right up against the barrier. At many places around the lap.
3: Hold on, I- buy shares in TechPro. Whoever, <laughs> whoever makes TechPro barrier, right, will just chuck all of our money at that. Absolutely, mate. Right. Schmidt's argument
0: is um, that Monaco is deemed safe enough with the TechPro you talk about. Trades are slightly lap. longer. At the end of the lap, is it, what is it, a kilometre and a half back towards the pits? (coughs) Flat out. Anyway, that would be phenomenal. And the, the passionate Formula One fan inside me just says, yes, please.
3: Find a way of doing it safely. And that would be a day of days for Formula One. And it would be great to have... An event like that with so many fans, essentially a ridiculous festival with a Grand Prix in the middle. That would be magnificent.
0: Yep, it would. And imagine, AJ, if you
3: had a Schumacher on the grid. That is some world-class segwaying, TC. Remarkable stuff. Like watching a a (laughs) golfer put away a fine putt or a (laughs) move around the outside. A backhand in tennis. an Alex Albon round the outside. Yes, it's this weird thing that despite the fact that Germany has had two world champions since Michael Schumacher, Michael Schumacher and the Schumacher surname has a pull in that country like no other, and worldwide like no other. Mick Schumacher, since he started racing on the Grand Prix weekend in Formula 2, has had to deal with more scrutiny than any Formula 2 driver in history, and it should have been a historic weekend if it wasn't for the rain at the Nürburgring. We would have seen him out in the Alfa Romeo strutting his stuff on the weekend. In fact, there was a giddy period when we were speculating about who was going to replace Lance Stroll, where half the media centre was like, Mick, 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 it's going to be Mick, it's going to be Mick Schumacher. Everyone lost their minds for about 10 and a half seconds before uh, reality kicked in and we saw Mr. Holkenberg. But Mick Schumacher is undoubtedly coming to Formula One and that is because of his association with Ferrari. So we thought it was a good time to catch up with Lauren Mechiez, who is the sporting director at Ferrari, and he has overseen a driver academy that is just pumping out talent and will have at least one driver progressing from Formula Two to Formula One next season.
0: We were hoping to see Mick Schumacher and Callum Ilott make their race weekend debuts on Friday. It didn't happen, but all the same, was it quite a proud moment for you?
1: The the Academy has been has been working uh, very well this year. Uh, the the guy did a huge job um, in, in trying to, to be dominating such difficult championships of Formula 2. You know that uh, they have been dominating already last year the Formula 3 championships, so it's, there is a trend there where we, 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 we trust that uh, these guys are on the right path uh, it's, it's very much integrated into Scuderia Ferrari, you know, it's not, uh, FDA is, is, is completely within Scuderia Ferrari. Mattia is driving it personally and, and is putting a lot of energy and is giving us the means to, uh, to do the, the, the programs we want to do. So now we are at the, uh, at the stage where uh, these guys are, are coming close to F1 level. It's very emotional to see them in an F1. We've run them in, in Fiorano two weeks ago. We were just about to witness their debut. Uh, it, it will give us the, the headache of the of how how to uh, to pick the right ones and how to keep developing the other ones. Uh, but it's a good headache to have. So yeah, it was a miss yesterday. Uh, nobody's fault, uh, but it doesn't change anything to their development. There is many other steps that they will need to make. They are conscious of it, and and we are building for them this sort of mini road to F1 program. And, and again. Uh, I think it's only, uh, it's only a small delay in what, uh, it, what, in what is... Uh...
0: You call it a road to F1 program. I mean, the FDA is the most successful young driver program out there at the moment. Why do you think it is so successful?
1: At, at first, we believe that the best drivers tomorrow will be the next generations of the best drivers. will be ones that are breathing with the team, breathing with the engineers, living with them, knowing them upside down for very early on. And this is why uh, we we are trying to integrate as much as we can, and, and not only being there at the race. We can as these guys, most of these guys, live in Maranello or elsewhere, very often, and so on. So we believe, right or wrong, you know, time will tell. We believe that there is uh, room to develop the talent of the guys. So it's not only down to what they have; they already have a huge amount of talent. But we believe that there is room to develop or not. What what these guys have, and, and that's what we are trying to do. Then, then you know, uh, success and failure is very difficult to measure uh, because in the end, the only goal we have is to find drivers to win for Ferrari, and, and and you can't find one every year. You probably can't find one every three years. But we have shown in the cars that demonstrated the system is working, and we have young guys that are winning the, the next best championships uh, uh, in in the last two years. So. So as I said, it's, uh, it's it's very much driven by Mattia and uh, and and uh, hopefully we have the means to give them uh, a foot into F1, which is another huge chance to have the possibility to take them up to there, you know, either by running the 2018 car or by putting them into an FP1 or maybe by running them with with, uh, with some of the uh, customers. So, so I think it's a huge chance that we can control the whole process or can, can at least have a chance to, Playing the whole process and, and we, we try to build on it, and then the, the rest we'll see.
0: Will there be another FP1 opportunity this year
4: for them?
1: So, if you look at the calendars, the only one. Uh, it's not great, is it? <laughs> is Abu Dhabi. No, we knew that before. I like we, we discovered it today, but now we, there is no chance before Abu Dhabi. So, we are. Uh, but what about Portimao though? Is, is Portimao not an option? I, I don't think it is, you know, in fairness, on you run new tracks, nobody went there. Like, you would not want to lose your FP1, you know. We, we, we try to be fair and reasonable with with our partners, and mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't think it will be to, to run to run them on a completely new track. You know, nobody has any data whatsoever out there. So I think because they are going to race in Bahrain, and, and we don't want to disturb them as they are fighting for the titles, so then the only chance is Abu Dhabi. So we will be discussing with with uh, both uh, alpha and has to see what is possible, whether or not it possible remains to be seen, but we will we will be trying trying very hard to, uh, to give them that chance. Just after that there is a the Young test.
0: How much influence does Ferrari have on placing them in a race seat for 2021?
1: The, the answer is very simple, Tom when when, the, uh, when you have somebody fast, it's very easy. Lauren, do you think they're fast enough? Yes, we think they are F1 material these guys, and that's why they are winning. Now, are they F1 material to, to Ferrari one day? It's very much in within how much they will develop, you know, in the same way that we feel they have developed, you know, from the raw talent, we see they have done one, two, three, ten steps up that bring them to their current level. We are equally conscious that they need ten other of these steps to get to, to that level, but that's exactly what our job is, to support them and, and to give them a chance to express themselves and to develop. And and, you know, a guy like Charles is is now third year in F1. He's still making steps. I'm sure you can see it yourself. And and this is this is what makes uh, this guy special. Now is is the guy that besides their talent, that able to absorb and learn and develop because because they have that capability and because they are in the right environment. Are they on that path? Currently, yes. Will they be able to develop
3: to that extent? That's what the future will tell. Laurent Mechiez, the sporting director at Ferrari, talking about the future. Although a lot went on in that very first Eiffel Grand Prix that we now have to rattle through in a quick-fire roundup of everything else that happened. Renault, incredible. You predicted them for third in the Constructors' Championship. They get their first podium. They've survived the TC curse. And who are third in the Constructors' Championship now after you predicted it would be Renault by the end of the year? It's Racing Point, everyone, who take the points. Oh, you curse them. But great to see Danny Rick with his two pairs of socks finally getting back on a Formula 1 podium. I'm wearing two pairs of socks.
1: That's, that's what I, yeah. I put two pairs of socks on today. Yeah, Daniel's not made for the course, so, so I got two fireproof socks on. <laughs> they're pretty thin case, me, so. yeah they're thin so i you must you must have a hole in, in your front like you your in your nose box i just feel the cold it's like gross- <laughs> down there for me.
4: there might be a trick somewhere there in the nose box.
1: <laughs> please don't protest
2: okay.
3: <laughs> no one was unhappy to see that in formula one
0: on the subject of racing point i think if there hadn't been that late race safety car checo perez
3: he was in position wasn't he it? was in he was position, in position. His, also his. have you heard about the new service that formula one.com senior writer lawrence Barreto provides no tell me well on your best day of the year he'll remind you the thing that you still got wrong
1: hey
0: daniel Hello. um you've still got your boots on so you didn't fancy a shoey? oh
1: mate <laughs> this is really bad i forgot all about it no way
0: Uh, Thank you, Lawrence, because did you then see that he posted on social media a video of him doing a shoey in his driver's room?
3: And that was nice to see. That was great to see. Well done to Lawrence for reminding uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Unlucky to Sergio Perez. Hülkenberg, I mean, he's never going to have a chilled out coffee ever again, is he? It's getting ridiculous. Has anyone ever done a Grand Prix weekend? His lap count total for the entire weekend was 70, 60 of which was the Grand Prix. Yeah, phenomenal.
0: Uh, I thought it was incredibly impressive, actually, this weekend to just arrive and drive like that. And uh, half of me thought, oh, isn't Formula One meant to be a little bit harder than that? But also half of me thought that is a real talent. And it's so sad that
3: he's not on the grid permanently. Uh, And Roman Grosjean, for so long, on the team radio, providing entertainment that way, reminded us that he is a phenomenal driver when things are working. That stint on the hard tyre was magnificent for his first points of the year. Uh,
4: I uh, I got hit badly by some gravel from Kimi and it's hurting my finger.
0: And finally, Valtteri Bottas. My goodness, he needed a win to back up that win from Russia two weeks ago. I thought he was brilliant on that opening lap. Lewis got the better of him away from the line, but he was playing hardball round the outside of turn one. And he won. But then that lock-up, then the subsequent need to pit to change the tyres, and it all slightly unravelled. The gap in the championship is now 69 points. He's only 14 ahead of Max Verstappen. So it's looking hard. As he said after the race, Valtteri said after the race, um, I need a miracle to challenge Lewis Hamilton. And it is looking that way.
3: One hand on the trophy for Lewis Hamilton. One hand... On the reception bell there, TC. You've got to check out right about now. I have. I'm always running to an airport when we do this, aren't I? But yes, I do have to check out now, AJ. Over to you, big man. Well, as TC tries to explain all those mini bar charges, we say thanks so much to you for listening wherever in the world you are. We see so many of you listening around the world or using a VPN. We can't work out which. Either way, no matter where you are, we would love it if you left us a review and subscribed and if you're already subscribed maybe get your friends to subscribe as well thanks for your company that is f1 nation this week we will speak to you next